bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, I thought you were going to go with Batman Smiles. Oh, sorry. I picked the lamer one. It's okay. Merry Christmas, uh, creepy peeps. It's not quite Christmas yet, but, but next almost. time we talk to you, it'll be after Christmas. Yeah. shopping because I'm a lazy bitch um, <laughs> and sometimes just can't deal with the, the stores and the lines yeah and like you can find anything and everything online so it's just like way easier not that but funny story like I'll be at work and uh, cleaning houses that's what I do um, and then all of a sudden I'll like see something or I'll think of something like for an idea for a gift and I'm like <gasps> and then I immediately like make it out <laughs> like I look it up and I'm like okay Right. Like, Honestly, that's a smart way to think of ideas. Sometimes I'll just sit at the computer and like type in like genre of things and see like what pops up. <laughs> yeah, some people are easy to buy for. Like you were not hard at all. Like, yeah. Um, my daughter is pretty easy. She just likes everything, wants everything. Uh, it just seems like the boys in my life yeah. are tough right now. And my sister, I'm struggling to come up with ideas. I got her a few things can't say just in case she's a supportive listener right um, <laughs> don't want to spoil the gift but yeah i feel like guys are 100 percent way harder to shop for than girls which is just funny because I, I guess there are more products out there targeted toward girls but like i don't know it's such a struggle yeah but, but almost done almost done yes getting there um, hopefully there will be uh, no murders for your guys' Christmas or ours. Um, unfortunately, there were some that we're going to be talking about today that have happened. If we didn't destroy your Thanksgiving or trying again for Christmas. Yeah, we just are joy ruiners. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we get into it, we are drinking Green Apple Sparkle Teeny by Verdi. Um that was donated from our our longtime supportive donators, Charlotte and Lorenzo Lentini. So thank you guys. It truly tastes, uh, it lives up to the name. It truly tastes green apple and sweet. So. It's nice and crisp. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for it. I like it. Me too. Well, should we get into uh, that crazy story? Yeah, let's unwind the holiday spirit. <laughs> it's not like crazy, but it's not nice either, so. Yeah, I, I feel like most murder stories probably aren't, you know, super nice, <laughs> especially around the holidays. I won't bring you down as much as I did for Thanksgiving. This one. That one was tough. This that is terrible, rough. but it's not as terrible. Okay. You're making it a little lighter. We appreciate it. <laughs> Okay, so mine takes place in the UK. So kind of changing locations here. Switching it up to the London peeps. Yeah, I'm not going to do it with an accent because... Yeah, immediate <laughs> regret. I just cringed at myself. Not going to bode well for me. <laughs> so mine is Samina Imam. Sure, Imam. Something Mom. Like that. Samina was 34 years old and it was Christmas Eve 2014 in Cardiff, Southampton, Bristol, which is in the UK. Samina couldn't help but feel a little excited. 
No one. It's Christmas. Cheerful time. She was busy preparing for the festive days that were to follow as she popped out of the office to grab her final bits from Marks and Spencer, a bottle of Bellini, and a tub of sweet treats, and her plan was finally coming together. I could get down with that plan. Sounds like a good plan to me. Samantha worked for Costco as original marketing boss for a handful of the multinationals nearby location of the outskirts of Coventry. Roger was 41 years old, and he worked as the store manager. Since the start of her relationship with Roger Cooper, Samantha's colleague, also a lover, they've been leading a double life. Well, more him than her. Mm -hmm. Roger had a long-term girlfriend at home, so Samina was the stuck girl playing second fiddle. Well, as much as that sucks, girl, you made your bed. Like, Yeah, that was... If she was aware, then that part's on her. Yeah. The relationships between the senior members of the staff were very much against the rules, but this hadn't stopped Roger and Samina. They spent two years entangled in a workplace love affair, but Samina had begun to get restless. She gave Roger, Roger an ultimatum in the run-up to the holiday seasons, which was, leave your long-term girlfriend or we over. And mm. Roger obliged. Or did he? Mm, so he says, to face. That Christmas, everything was set to change. The pair would spend Christmas Day at Birmingham's Mel Mason Hotel, and by the start of 2015, they would finally be official, like, together, telling the world, and she was, like, stoked about that. All Samina wanted for Christmas was the man she loved, and this year she was finally going to get him. Or, that's what she was promised. Mm. Girl, don't fall for it. Run. Like Forrest. Just Keep yeah. running. Just just book it. Just book it out of there while you got the chance. However, while Samantha had been getting everything ready to start a new life, Roger and his brother, they had a different plan. Um, so while she was preparing her new life, they were preparing to take hers. By 6.30 on Christmas Eve, Samina would be dead. The hotel room she had booked would be sitting empty as the Cooper brothers set about covering up this callous murder. The first attempt on her life was planned by the early hours of the 12th of December 2014. Samina was a regular guest at the Solihull's premiere inn and that night following the Christmas party she planned to sleep there. Roger had told Samina to meet him at the hotel where he claimed he had booked a room and had a surprise for her. But, surprise, the surprise was that there was no room, he didn't even book it, and Roger wasn't even going to be there. Meanwhile, brother David sat in a hired car in the car park, ready and waiting to abduct her. The brothers communicated using Star Wars codes, (laughs) such as Death Star Complete, Stay on Target, and You Are Expected, Vader. Really, guys? Wow, okay. They are serious Star Wars fans, I guess, using that for their plot of murder. Well, not only are they doing a terrible thing, but you're, like, making joke codes. Yeah, like, like, 
The plan failed. Although what went wrong is still unclear to detectives, Samina made her way safely into the hotel from the taxi. David sent a text to his brother in broken French, which translated to, there's no point, no score, the window of opportunity is closed. Twelve days later, the brothers took aim once again. At 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve, Samina left work, just as Roger, um, each driving off in their, in their separate cars. So the couple met up again nearby, where she unpacked her luggage from her BMW and willingly jumped into Roger's Audi. Leaving her car parked on a quiet side street, Roger and Samina drove off together towards Leicester. Detectives believe that Samina thought this was to be a quick pre-Christmas visit to David and a detour on their trip to Birmingham. It was on this journey that Samina spoke with her sister for a final time. She asked how her mother was getting on and confirmed she'd be at the parents' home for Boxing Day for a family Christmas celebration. The couple arrived at David Cooper's Leicester home at 5 p.m. And since it was winter, it was already dark. Ugh, feel that pain. <sighs> Terribly. It's believed Samantha was attacked by David almost immediately upon entering his property. It can't have been difficult for these brothers to overpower her. I mean, they were 6'5 and 6'7. And they towered over her. She was unprepared, and the girl was 5'2". Yeah, so she... Uh... Sounds like she didn't have much of a fighting chance there because those are some big guys. Yeah. So the two brothers murdered her by pressing a tea towel soaked with chloroform over her mouth and administering a bizarre combination of toxic chemicals, including arsenic and mercury. Ugh. By 625, Roger had already begun his journey back to Coventry, leaving David to dispose of Samantha's body. In an effort to create the impression Samina was still alive, Roger, once he turned up at his home to join his partner, he sent a text to himself from her phone. It was a false alibi. I am fuming. I am going to where I can truly be cared for. So he was just, like, bullshitting to make it seem like he had nothing to do with her murder and, like... Guys... It never works. No, it doesn't. They will find out. Yeah. They're not going to be like, oh, well, he sent this text, so there's no way, even though there's other clues, there's no way that he did it. People are idiots. Mm Cliches. Meanwhile, David got on with disposing of Samantha's body. Pathologists found that she had been transferred to a grave within a few hours of her death. On a quiet elopement of Roby Road in Leicester, the body wrapped in cling film, which I'm going to assume that means like a... Like a cling wrap type thing? Yeah, like the saran, saran wrap you put wrap. over your okay. food. I'm guessing that's like the French way or UK language way. I'm saying it. And in a sleeping bag. Um, she was buried underground. Whether or not David noticed the chilling signs hanging from his development shed, don't wind me up. I'm running out of places to hide. The bodies. Only he knows. What a sign. Yeah, seriously. Don't wind me up. She's coming back, bitch. Mm Mm-hmm, with vengeance. Over the following few days, the brothers continued to cover up the operation. 
Samantha's car was moved from Coventry to Leicester and then after being wiped for fingerprints and DNA, abandoned in Lutton, when Samantha never appeared at her family Boxing Day dinner, the police were informed and launched their search, later codenamed Operation Serenic. Interesting name. Yeah. On January 4th of 2015, Samantha's car was located on a quiet residential Lutton Street, some 65 miles from Coventry. Her handbag was missing, her suitcase, and shopping bags, too. There were no fingerprints, which the police found suspicious. The driver's seat was pushed far back, way too far for someone of Samina's height. The missing person's inquiry became a nobody, no murder inquiry. They always miss the seat. I can't tell you how many cases I've heard where they're like, a short person is missing, but yet the seat's pushed back to like where she can't reach oh, the pedals. Oh, yeah. I feel like I, this is like. And you would think that it would be like part of protocol to like check that. The funny thing is I sit closer than the average person. You guys, Low sits dangerously close. It stresses me out. She sits way too close to her steering wheel. I'm like, are you okay? I have long legs but a short torso. It's a very weird combination. Okay. <laughs> I'm working on it. Little by little I'm getting you. Scoot a little to bit back. back. Just, like, just get yourself comfortable. <laughs> but thanks for that out. I can't tell you how many people like, dude. I've heard other people tell My husband come, tells yeah. me it's a death trap for me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Anyway, <laughs> continuing on. Take it off of me. <laughs> From then it didn't take long for the detectives to put the pieces of this grotesque murder together. Together. <laughs> together. <laughs> together. <laughs> Mine's kicking in. Data from Samina's phone revealed to police that she traveled with Roger to Leicester. The bottle of Bellini Samina purchased for her Christmas was found in David's fridge. The snacks were in his cupboard in her Senevets. How did we? Uh, I think it's like Satnav. Satnav. In his loft. loft. Oh, my God. <laughs> we're coming uh, at, Are we in Boston right now? <laughs> I read UK and French story, and all of a sudden my accent just feels like it's it throwing needs to your change, brain off. I guess. <laughs> so, in her satin knob loft. After a trip from the member of the public, archaeologists arrived at the alloyment and began their excavations. On the fourth day, investigators found that the outside edge of the sleeping bag, they lifted a flap and they knew straight away Samantha's body had been found. The brothers were arrested on suspicion of the murder on the 7th of January, 2014, and were charged two days later. During the 10-week trial, which ended on the 20th of October in 2015, prosecutors counsel Timothy Spencer, QC, I'm not sure what that means for. <laughs> Maybe it's a nickname, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, the QC told the court that Roger had brazenly lied to Samina. Roger had never had any intentions of leaving his partner. He had feared Samina would spill the beans on their affair, which in his mind would jeopardize both his career and his relationship. Rather than face up to the consequences of his actions, Roger enlisted the help of ex-soldier David, and together they set about planning to kill Samina in cold blood. 
While Roger had a motive for the murder, however, twisted as it was, um, it remains the mystery of why his brother is willing to kill a woman that he barely knew. He obviously was effed up in the head because why else? Brotherly bond? I, I don't know. <laughs> On the 21st of October, Roger and David were both found guilty of murder unanimously by a jury. By Christmas, they were both behind bars, each serving a 30-year sentence. After the conviction, Miam's family said that nothing could have prepared them for discovering that she had been murdered. In a statement that her father had wrote, he said that, As a family, we are absolutely devastated at the loss of Samina. It is hard for us to even imagine that innocent, kind, beautiful girl could be murdered, let alone it be our daughter. We are still in shock, and we are all missing Samina in so many different ways. Man, all over some cheating guy who just didn't want to get caught. Yeah. Like, the lengths that some people will go is just so wild. Which then just let her go. Yeah, like, just say it's over. Yeah. If you're going to kill her anyways, it's not like you're continuing your side relationship, like... He was probably one of those, well, if I can't have her, nobody can. Yeah. Or he's scared she was going to talk, but. I mean, it's not worth killing someone. Now he's sitting in prison the rest of his life. Like, was that really worth it, my dude? Probably not. My dude. (laughs) Every time you say that, it's like, "Mm, Polly D. What up, my dude? What up, my dude? (laughs) I probably get it from him. I watch way too much uh, Jersey Shore. Um, But, yeah, it's. It sucks. Yeah. And especially, I mean, obviously for her family is horrible and losing someone in general is excruciating and in that way being murdered. But especially during the holidays, like, it's just so sad. I know I keep, uh, I don't want to harp on it, but again, um, our Oakland County is still dealing freshly with the Oxford shootings and... I just keep thinking daily as I hear it, like, all these families, and it's so close to Christmas, like, my heart just... Yeah, losing their children, like, for such unnecessary violence and I think I would just be like, take my tree, take everything down, like, I don't need anything. Yeah. I don't, I don't, just... Because they, I, yeah, they can't, I imagine, cannot get in any type of Christmas spirit at all when they're dealing with this. Unless they have, like, little siblings that they kind of have to push through Try to, for, like, yeah. you know, younger sisters or brothers, but... Yeah. I... Yeah, and Christmas will never be the same for them. It's just horrible. But, again, we're uh, we're still praying and putting out, you know, peaceful vibes to Oxford. It's, it's still healing. Um, the threats have calmed down around waterford we still hear one every now and then surprisingly it's been in elementary schools Um, these kids are like so young and they're like getting arrested it's so insane to me yeah it's terribly just wrong yeah i don't know this world all right crystal now that i've brought you down bring us down a little bit more yeah i'm gonna take it take us down another notch um Funny enough, though, I have to say, we always, because me and Lo research, when we do two stories in one, we research the stories separately, but we always find some sort of connection between the stories. Not like while we're looking for it, it's like after we already picked one. 
So mine also happens in England. Um, and a young woman dies also. So it's just kind of uh, funny, the parallels that we always find. This is why I say she's the peanut butter to my whiskey. Exactly. <laughs> I said that to you earlier about something, too. I can't remember where. I don't know. I feel like we're always on some sort of mental parallel page. <laughs> Crystal brought dinner today. She brought the balls, man. They were, yeah. good. We were balls deep in... Meatballs. Meatballs. Balls deep in the meatballs. <laughs> and veggies. And I was cooking. And while we were cooking, I'm like, this is why you're the peanut butter to my whiskey. Oh, yeah. I, but I can't remember why I said it. Me neither. I probably said something so stupid. Always. <laughs> Always. I don't but know. That's why I love you, because I bounce back with something stupider. And, like, I don't remember because I so often say so many stupid things, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure I'll make up for it in like 20 minutes. I'll say something else stupid. <laughs> it's okay. I can't wait. All right. Let's <laughs> hear your story. Yeah. So this is the story of Joanna Yates. Um, Joanna Claire Yates was born on April 19th, 1985 to David and Teresa Yates in Hampshire, England. Uh, she was privately educated at Embley Park near Romsey. And Joanna studied for her A-levels at Peter Simons College, and she had graduated with a degree in landscape architecture from Riddle College. And she went on to receive her post-grad diploma in landscape architecture from the University of Gloucestershire. In December 2008, Joanna met and started dating a 25-year-old architect named Greg Reardon at the firm Highland Edgar Driver in Winchester. The couple moved in together in 2009 and settled in Bristol when the company moved there. Joanna later changed jobs to work at the Building Design Partnership in Bristol, so at that point she and Greg moved into a flat at 44 Caneage Road, which was a large house that had been subdivided into several flats um, just in the city's Clifton suburban area. And this was in October of 2010. So kind of flashing forward to December, one night at approximately 8 o'clock p.m. on December 19th, 2010, Greg had returned home from a weekend visit that he took to Sheffield to find Joanna not in their flat and nowhere to be found. Greg had been trying to contact her by phone, by text, but he was having no success reaching her. So for a little while, Greg was just waiting in the apartment, praying and waiting to see if Joanna would just, you know, come home and return maybe she was just out shopping or whatever after waiting for a while uh greg was walking around he called her again but then heard and noticed that her cell phone was ringing from a pocket of her coat um and that was inside of the flat he then you know did some digging around and found that her purse and keys were also at the flat um and noticed that their cat had appeared to be kind of neglected by not having been fed or have any water. So this, you know, obviously raised a giant red flag um, for Greg because this was uh, very unlike her and um, just really out of the ordinary. Poor kitty. I know. So shortly after half past midnight, Greg couldn't wait any longer and contacted the police and Joanna's parents to report her missing. So as investigators conducted interviews and looked into things, uh, they ultimately determined that Joanna had spent the evening of December 17th, 2010 with colleagues at the Bristol Ram Pub on Park Street, leaving at around 8 p.m. to begin the 30-minute walk home. 
Which I just have to say, that's a long walk to be alone at night, like walking back home. I don't know if it's like a big city or anything that she lived in. Like if it's a, you know, if you're in New York, a lot, most people just walk. So that would make sense. But to me, that just sounds like a long walk to be alone at night. Yeah. And you have to keep your guard up. And I don't know if she did. Right. Like she might, might not have been expecting some people get, Yeah. Anything. Some people get so comfortable. Mm-hmm. Because they don't expect anything to happen. And if it's your neighborhood, like... Right. I mean, normally I wouldn't think twice about walking around my block at night these days. <laughs> my life. Yeah. Yeah. I take my dog with me. Um, I guess she had told her friends and colleagues that she was not looking forward to spending the weekend alone because it was her first time in the flat without her boyfriend Greg there. Um... But to fill the time, you know, she planned to spend her alone time baking in preparation for a party that her and Greg um, were going to be throwing the following week. And, you know, just shopping for Christmas. Just very typical, nothing out of the ordinary things that she was planning for the weekend. Um, So that same night, Joanna was seen on a closed-circuit television or CCTV, which uh, it's basically just surveillance cameras. Uh, But she was seen at... Around 8.10 p.m., leaving a Waitrose supermarket without purchasing anything, she then phoned her best friend, Rebecca Scott, at 8.30 p.m. to arrange for them to get together on Christmas Eve. And the last known footage of Joanna recorded was her buying a pizza from a branch of Tesco Express at around 8.40 p.m. Uh, She had also bought two small bottles of cider at a nearby off-license bargain booze place. I hope she wasn't going to have those together. Well, cider might have been alcohol for them, huh? Yeah, I th- I'm thinking so. <laughs> like, I'm thinking apple Especially cider the bargain pizza, booze like... place, yeah. Yeah, weird mix. I don't know if it was for the party or... But I know some wines, like, that I bought from Traverse City, they're considered cider, the blueberry one I bought you. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever flavor. I think it was blueberry I got you. But those are considered cider, so I guess it's probably more of a wine. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming so, um... But, yeah, I don't know if she was planning on having it that night or what. Um, But, yeah, so that was the last footage seen of her um, and the last time anybody saw her and spoke to her or anything like that. Now, Greg and Joanna's friends set up a website and, like, used social networking services to help spread the word and look for her. On December 21st, 2010, Joanna's parents and Greg made a televised public appeal for her safe return um, at a police press conference. And in another press conference broadcast live on December 23rd by Sky News and BBC News, Joanna's father, David, commented on her disappearance. He said, I think she was abducted after getting home to her flat. I have no idea of the circumstances of the abduction because of what was left behind. I feel sure she would not have gone out by herself leaving all these things behind and she was taken away somewhere. Um, Which I agree because why would she leave her phone and her purse and her keys if she decided to go out? So, um, yeah, at that point I was also thinking she must have been home when someone abducted her or whatever the case was. Now, detectives found no sign of the pizza that she had bought. Um, or any of its packaging. Both bottles of cider, however, were found in the flat, and one of them was partially emptied. Um, 
there was no evidence of forced entry or a struggle at all, so investigators began to examine the possibility that Joanna may have known her abductor, uh, which I would have to assume as well, like, if it didn't appear that she had left her home to go anywhere or, you know, while she was home there was no broken windows or, you know, anything amiss, uh, I feel like most likely she somewhat knew whoever took her. And they took the pizza. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, did like, they... oh, I want to have an appetite after I do this. Right, like they obviously took it because if it's not there, I don't know. We're gonna do something really heinous, and then after that, we're gonna eat the pizza. Yeah, like back. So the search for Joanna continued, um, and on Christmas, December twenty fifth, two thousand ten, a fully clothed body was found in the snow by a couple walking their dogs along Longwood Lane near a golf course and next to the entrance of a quarry in Thaleland, which was approximately three miles from Joanna's home. The body was sadly declared by police to be Joanna's. Greg and the Yates family visited the site of the discovery on the 27th of December, and Joanna's father, David, said that the family um, had been told to prepare for the worst and expressed relief that his daughter's body had been recovered. Uh, funeral arrangements, though, were delayed because investigators retained the body and pathologist Nat Carey consented to the release of the body until January 31st, 2011, so quite some time that her family had to wait uh, to have any type of service or get her body back or anything like that. Which is the worst because now they're grieving. It's not going to get any better until they get Yes. Exactly. The roughest part. Right. So it's yeah. just prolonging the grieving. Mm-hmm. <sighs> exactly. And the stress of pl- even planning a funeral and everything like that. Um, the investigation, which I guess was labeled and called Operation Braid. Uh, we both also, another parallel, we both had random operation <laughs> names on ours. <laughs> Don't really know why either of those were called that, but. Um, but it comprised 80 detectives and civilian staff under the direction of Detective Chief Inspector Phil Jones, who was a senior officer with Avon and Somerset Constabulary's Major Crime Investigation Unit. It became one of the largest police operations in the Constabulary's history. Jones urged the public to come forward with any information to help catch the killer, especially potential witnesses who were in the vicinity of Longwood Lane and Failand. Um, in the period before Joanna's body was discovered. He stated that the investigation was seeking the driver of a light-colored 4x4 vehicle for questioning. Um, So I'm assuming some type of witness had said they saw a suspicious car of that style driving around at that time. Suspicious. (laughs) Yes. Um, Jones said that officers had been... Um, inundated with thousands of calls and were exhausting every lead and avenue that they were provided with. Police examined over 100 hours of surveillance footage along with 293 tons of garbage that was seized from the area around Joanna and Greg's flat. Crime Stoppers actually offered a 10,000 euro reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of her murderer, while the Sun newspaper also offered a 50,000 euro reward uh so this was getting extremely wide coverage and people were you know not playing around when it came to finding this woman's murderer 
Authorities advised people living in the area to secure their homes and warned women not to walk alone after dark. Um, Speaking on December 29th about the murder investigation, Joanna's father said, I fear that whoever has done this will never hand themselves in, but we live in hope that the police will catch who is responsible. Following the discovery of Joanna's uh, body, detectives from the Avon and Somerset Constabulary issued an appeal for anyone with information about the death to come forward and investigated similarities with other unsolved cases um, of particular interest to them, who were those of 20-year-old Glennis Caruthers, who was strangled in 1974, Melanie Hall, 25, who disappeared in 1996, and whose body was discovered 13 years later, and 35-year-old Claudia Lawrence, who went missing in 2009. Investigators identified striking similarities between the Yates and Hall cases, notably their age, their appearance, um, and that they had disappeared after returning home from meeting friends. But the possibility of such connections um, kind of was lingering and a little downplayed by the authorities. The police gathered surveillance video from Clifton Suspension Bridge, which forms part of the most direct route from the crime scene to the Clifton suburb where Joanna was last seen alive. The footage was really poor quality, uh, just making it kind of impossible to clearly distinguish any individuals or car registration numbers. And investigators were also aware that the perpetrator could have even used an alternative bridge to across the river. Um, less than a mile to the south to avoid any surveillance cameras. Um, So they were trying to really track it down from all angles. A post-mortem examination began on December 26th, though results were delayed due to the frozen condition of the body. Police initially thought it was possible that Joanna froze to death because her body showed, you know, no visible signs of injury. Um, And investigators announced, though, on December 28th that the case had indeed become a murder inquiry as the pathologist who performed her autopsy determined that Yates had died as a result of strangulation. The postmortem indicated that she had died several days before being discovered. Um, The examination also confirmed that Yates did not eat the pizza that she had purchased and, yeah, like, after reading that, like, confirmed that she didn't even eat the pizza, my mind was kind of like, uh, yeah, so the the killer just also stole her pizza and ate it afterwards. Like, what the fuck? Um, just give her one piece. Right? I know. Detective Chief Inspector Jones stated that the investigation found no evidence to suggest that Joanna was sexually assaulted. The police searched her boyfriend Greg's laptop, computer, and mobile phone just as a part of standard procedure, but ultimately he was ruled out as a suspect and he was treated as a witness. Plus, he he was out of town um, and that was confirmed as well. A young woman attending a party at a a neighboring house on Canyage Road on the night of Joanna's disappearance recalled hearing two loud screams shortly after 9 p.m. coming from the direction of Joanna's flat. Another neighbor who lived behind Joanna's home said that he heard a woman's voice scream, help me, although he could not recall exactly when the incident had recurred. Um, Which I just have to say, like, did no one go out and look? <laughs> like, if they heard a woman screaming and screaming, help me. Or did call no the one... police and that's yeah. to do a welfare check. Yeah, I don't know if they, they, they just ignored it, I guess. 
Um, and there's a lesson to be learned there, people. When some you hear someone scream, help me, just don't take it lightly because you never know. Yeah. Um, officers then removed the front door to Joanna's flat to check for clothing fibers and any DNA evidence, uh, with investigators examining the possibility that the perpetrator had entered the flat boat before Joanna had even returned home. Um, senior officers from the investigation asked for assistance from the National Policing Improvement Agency, which provides expertise for difficult cases. On January 4th, 2011, a clinical forensic pathologist um, who had previously been involved as a criminal profiler, um, he joined the investigation to help narrow down the number of potential suspects. Jones stated that his officers had established over 1,000 lines of inquiry, and he said, I can assure you, we are determined to solve this crime and bring Joe's killer to justice. On January 5th, Detective Chief Inspector Jones announced that one of Joanna's socks was missing when she was found dead, and that it had not been found at the crime scene or in her home. So they had a little bit of a clue to go off of if they could find that sock. Police launched a national advertising campaign to appeal for witnesses through Facebook. The page established um, had been viewed nearly 250,000 times by the following day, while CCT footage of Joanna had been viewed 120,000 times on YouTube by January 5th. On January 9th, Bristol East MP Carrie McCarthy gave her support to the idea of public DNA screening process if the police found it useful. McCarthy suggested that the screening process should be extended beyond Clifton to the wider Bristol area as a whole. DNA that had been found on Joanna's body was tested for a potential profile. Detectives also began tracking the movements of several hundred registered sex offenders living within their jurisdiction to determine those individuals' whereabouts. Um, so they were, yeah, trying literally everything and anything they could think of to solve this murder. Which is really great that they were going to such lengths. Um, but I just kind of have to say, I'm not sure they would have gone to such far lengths if Joanna's story wasn't so well known and publicized. Like, I don't know. Sadly, I just feel like a lot of other murder victim cases aren't shown this same um, extensive amount of investigation because, you know, there may be less pressure if it's not as well-known of a case or as publicized as, like, this one was. Yeah, I feel like the ones that the media talks about or, like, yeah, certain ones go viral. Those are the ones that they stay on top of, like, mm -hmm. real quick. Yeah, and I can think of even one recently, which I, I won't even, whatever, say, but... We it's, all know who you're thinking of. Right, it's just, I think it's great because that those people deserve justice 100%. So I think it's great. I'm not saying that I wouldn't want them to go to such extents, but it's just sad that other people who also deserve that same investigation don't really get it if there's not a lot of pressure from the public being put on departments and stuff like yeah, that. Because parents are thinking, why not my son or daughter? Exactly, yeah. Um, so... Shortly after 7 a.m. on December 30th, Christopher Jeffries, uh, Joanna's landlord, who lived in another flat in the same building, was arrested on suspicion of her murder. He was taken to a local police station for questioning while forensic, forensic investigators inspected his flat. 
On December 31st, the next day, a senior police officer granted investigators a 12-hour extension to the arrest, enabling them to hold him in custody for additional questioning. Police uh, applied to magistrates for further extensions, which were granted on that same day and for January 1st. Investigators were able to detain him as a suspect for up to 96 hours, uh, but they had to release Jeffries on bail after two days. He then, Jeffries went to retain the legal services of a law firm uh, just to act on his behalf. And on March 4th, 2011, so some time had passed since he was arrested, police released him from bail and stated he was no longer a suspect. Um, And since they pretty much wasted a lot of this guy's time and arrested him and the public was so into this that they were all against him, uh, he actually won an undisclosed sum in libel damages for defamatory news articles published following his arrest and received an apology from Avon and Somerset police for any distress that was caused to him during the investigation, which I could imagine would be quite a bit of distress if you're potentially being charged for murder you've been arrested you've been held for 96 hours you have all this public view on you being claiming that you killed this girl when he actually didn't so good thing i'm glad that he got you know some money from them and i'm sure he probably lost his job lost friends lost Mm -hmm. trust in people like yeah i mean i can't even imagine what was going through his mind and what shifted in his life during that time because it was only it was like three or four months but that's a long time when shit like that's going down yeah especially if it's media coverage you gotta pretty much just Lay stay low. in your house yeah like. yeah i can't imagine in january 2011 a reconstruction of the case was filmed on location in bristol for broadcast in the january 26th edition of the bbc television program crime watch A specialized firm from the film industry was contracted to um, just reproduce the snowy conditions of the time of Joanna's disappearance, and the reconstruction of her last movements was filmed on January 18th. And within 24 hours of news coverage about the production, over 300 people contacted the police, um, and a a breakthrough led investigators to believe that Joanna's body might have been transported in a large like suitcase or hold all type thing. And on the morning of January 20th, the Avon and Somerset Constabulary arrested 32-year-old architectural engineer Vincent Tabak, who lived with his girlfriend in the flat right next door to Joanna. Um, however, authorities did, they declined to like reveal additional details while the suspect was being interrogated. Just because, like, the concerns over the controversial media coverage of Jeffrey's arrest, which, you know, had breached the rules on, like, what could be reported when an individual is being arrested. So, yeah, they basically didn't want to put all that info out and then F up again if they had the wrong guy again. So that was probably a smart move uh, on their point. Yeah, headlines cover. Are you sure this time? Right, seriously. (laughs) Losing a little trust uh, in the department if they just kept throwing names out um but yeah the tabak arrest followed an anonymous tip from a female caller shortly after a televised appeal by joanna's parents on on that show crime watch um canage road was closed by police while scaffolding was constructed around joanna's home and officers sealed off tabak's adjacent flat 
Um, investigators, you know, they searched the nearby townhouse of a friend where Tabak was also believed to have been staying just about a mile away. And Tabak had previously been ruled out as a suspect during an earlier stage of the investigation and had returned to Britain from a holiday visit to his family in the Netherlands. Um, yeah, DNA tests were carried out by the LGC Forensics, uh, a private company which kind of undertakes forensic analysis. And Lindsay Lennon, a body fluids and DNA special member of the team that analyzed DNA samples from Yates' body, said that although DNA swabs matched Tabak, they were not of sufficient quality to be evaluated. Uh, the team deployed a method known as DNA SenseE, which, uh, which just enhances unusable DNA samples through like a purification and concentration like system that they had. Um, we couldn't say whether the DNA was from saliva or semen or even touch, but we could say that the probability of it not being a match with Tabak was less than one in a billion. So yeah, they they, they kind of got you, sir. They kind of got you. Um, after questioning during 96 hours of detention, Tabak was charged on January 22nd, 2011 with the murder of Joanna Yates. Tabak, legally represented by Paul Cook, declined to request bail during a hearing the following day um, and was moved from Bristol Prison because of fears for his safety. Uh, he was placed under suicide watch at Long Larton Prison near Evesham, and Tabak's family and friends in the Netherlands started to raise funds for his court defense. Tavik initially maintained that he was not responsible for Joanna's death, claiming that DNA evidence linking him to the crime had been fabricated by the officials being corrupt. However, on February 8th, he told Peter Brotherton, who was a prison chaplain, that he had killed her and intended to plead guilty. So on May 5th, 2011, Vincent Tavik pleaded guilty to the manslaughter of Joanna Yates, but denied murdering her, which I don't... I don't really know a lot of the legal lingo, but like, isn't that the same thing? That's what I would think. <laughs> yeah, I don't know all the technicalities of it. Like, how do you admit to manslaughter but deny murder? Like, I, I mean, I guess the only thing I can think of manslaughter, a lot of times it can be accidental. Like, if you are like a drunk driving accident, it wasn't intentional, so you get usually you get like involuntary manslaughter. Okay. Or you know, yeah. even though you still murdered them, maybe it's like he murdered her, but like circumstantial type stuff. Yeah, maybe it was an accident, but then he tried to cover it up and he hid, and who knows what happened. Like, okay. Or maybe she struggled, like he was trying to do something, right? Just as bad, but she struggled and then she accidentally died. Okay, so he's claiming that it was. Not, like, purposeful or whatever. wasn't premeditated. Okay. And that's gotcha. where I would go with it. Okay. Um, yeah, Joanna and Tabak did not meet prior to that night of December 17th. So she really didn't know him. Like, she may have knew of him or have seen him before, but they never, like, formally met. And after killing Yates, Tabak attempted to cast suspicion for the murder onto the first guy who got arrested, Jeffries, after watching a news broadcast about the case while spending the new year with relatives in the Netherlands. 
He contacted Avon and Somerset police to tell them that Jeffries had been using his car on the night of December 17th and a CID officer, DC Karen Thomas, was sent to Amsterdam to talk to him. They met at Amsterdam Schiphol Airport on December 31st where Tabak elaborated on his story, but Thomas kind of grew su- suspicious of his interest in the forensic work um, because like what he said didn't line up with the previous statement that he had given. Uh, so, so yeah, Tabak was the reason that the poor guy, Jeffries, who was arrested first, was arrested in the first place. He, like, made him look guilty and gave tips to the police um, just to save his own ass. So that I feel so bad for that, that poor guy. Tabak was just a pain in the ass. Right? <laughs> in three months leading up to Yates' death, uh, Tavik had used his computer to research ac- escort agencies during business trips in the United Kingdom and United States, and he had contacted several sex workers by phone. He also viewed violent internet pornography that depicted women being controlled by men, showing images of them being bound and gagged, held by neck and choked. During the murder investigation, police found images of a woman who had a striking resemblance to Joanna, And in one scene, she was shown pulling up uh, a pink top to, like, expose herself. And when Joanna was discovered, she was wearing a very similarly arranged pink top, which is so creepy. Probably made her put it on. I know. Ugh. Like, that's just really creepy. People are creepy. Yeah. (laughs) Moral of the story. (laughs) On October 28th, Tabak was found guilty of Joanna Yates' murder by a 10-2 majority verdict. He was uh, jailed for life with a minimum term of 20 years, um, you know, to a life sentence. And also, I just, I read this about him too. So this is kind of a side piece of info just to paint you even more of a picture of what kind of a guy this was. Uh, After the trial, it emerged that pornographic images of children had been found on his laptop In December 2013, the Crown Prosecution Service announced that he would be prosecuted for possessing the images, and on March 2nd, 2015, Tabak pleaded guilty to possessing more than 100 indecent images of children and was sentenced to uh, 10 months in prison just to run concurrently with his existing life sentence for murder. So this guy was just, yeah, not right in the head at all. Put him in gentle pop and let him just get the... Out of yeah, exactly. Every day. Uh huh. And I would be very satisfied with that, as I'm sure most people would. Um, but yeah, it's just so sad because, and this happens all the time, but you know, Joanna was just going about her life. She wasn't doing anything wrong. She didn't do anything to this guy to make him remotely even think about murdering her. But because he had mental issues with sex and whatever, he associated her with someone that he saw and decided to murder her. I don't know. It's just crazy to me. She's probably, like, had a long day at work, went to pick up pizza, two bottles of wine, wanted just to relax, and then this guy came along, and she's like, dude, like, not today. Seriously, I'm so hungry. I just want my pizza and my wine, and... To, like, go home and get under a blanket and watch reruns of The Hills. And you're fucking it all up, dude. And then she died. Yeah. It's... I like your depiction of her night, by the way. 
<laughs> Sounds very much like a lot of nights that I have. Um, <laughs> Without but, being murdered. Right. Yeah, let's... let's That's keep, a creepy let's guy. Let's keep that part um, the same. But, yeah, it's just so sad because she was just a good person living her life, like, not doing any harm to anybody. You know, her boyfriend was out of town. She planned to go Christmas shopping and baking. Like, how freaking wholesome. And then this guy, this horrible human being, just takes everything away from her and her family. You better not get a Christmas cookie either. If you took the pizza, you better not have a I know. And I'm wondering if he drank part of the cider. You know how part of the cider was missing? Yeah. Like, I doubt that she drank the cider and didn't have any pizza. Like, he, I'm sure he had half the cider and all her pizza. I'm going to assume he met her at the door trying to get in. Like, she had yeah. pizza in her hand, the wine. Right. And he probably... Mm-hmm. Exactly. Ugh. So sad. Um, but yeah, these were our holiday horror stories for you all. Um, Merry Christmas. Bringing the Christmas spirit around. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and also a couple weeks left to get in your tickets for our Christmas giveaway. Uh, just a dollar. You can go through our PayPal. Um, it's linked on our Facebook page. Uh, so check that out. It's Gremlins themed. We got some cool prizes. I don't know. Are we announcing the prizes? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, two film collection, Gremlins 1 and 2. And then we got a cute little Gizmo Gremlins uh, plush doll. He's so adorable and perfect for, you know, any Christmas or all-time year. And I'm not even lying when I'm saying this. You better get your tickets in because KK is seriously thinking of buying her own tickets. Right? I was like, should I put in, like, a fake name and then get it for myself? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, if you buy the ticket. (laughs) If I put in the money, you guys are in the running with me. Um, (laughs) No, but seriously, cute stuff and definitely want to get... It's it's a dollar. Like, this is worth way more than a dollar. Like... And it's Gremlins, so it's classic, it's retro, it's 80s, it's 90s, it's... It's all the freaking decades, man. Just don't get them wet and don't feed them after midnight. Yeah, then you'll be safe. Um, unless you're trying to get wild, just, just you know, do it in a safe zone. <laughs> but thank you guys for sticking around for another show, and I hope you guys have a good Christmas. And if you are on the Jewish side... And I hope you have a good Christmaka. Oh. She's not going to get it. I don't get it, but I like it. When she watches the OC, she'll get it. Okay, yeah. I need to I need to get on that. <laughs> but if you guys listen to the OC, then you'll totally get it. Then I love Adam Brody. Then you you're in the loop. I do love Adam Brody, but I don't really know him on the OC, obviously. He's the same as is in every other thing he's in. True. <laughs> he does always tend to play the same kind of character <laughs> i've been listening to the oc podcast with richard bilson and oh i can't remember her real name right now but she played marissa's mom melinda mindy fail i'll be no help but anyways it is a good podcast if you like the oc they talk about all the episodes they bring the actors on i really like it when i need a timeout from true crime i know most people don't say they need a timeout but sometimes you need a timeout yeah you don't want to 
you know, watch too many dark things too much. You gotta keep yourself even. Yeah, exactly. Gotta have some nice balance. (laughs) So, next week, um, usually we don't have our story announced, but if you haven't got the clues from the Gremlins giveaway, (laughs) Gremlins talk, then I guess I can't help you anymore. But tune in next week. Yeah, if you didn't get it, then that's on you. (laughs) So, on that note, stay creepy. Bye. Bye.